Speed Dot. Here we are. We're live in the Age of Tech podcast studio. Graham Brown with Shravan Verma. Shravan, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me here, Graham. It's not often that we have a doctor in the house. <laughs> so here we are. We don't usually see many doctors who become entrepreneurs. It's a rare breed. So we're going to talk about your journey. We're mm. going to talk about Speed Doc and the problem that you're solving. So can you explain a little bit about the difference between the world of a doctor and the world of a startup entrepreneur? We can maybe talk about the differences and then the similarities later on. But is it a world apart? I would say it's a completely different world apart. When you're in the hospital setting or when you're treating patients, it's a lot about following what you're taught. It's about following the guidelines. You don't try and deviate that much from what you're supposed to be doing for a patient. If it's a certain uh, symptoms that you see, certain diagnosis that you make, you have to follow the guidelines and treatment, which is uh, based on studies and mm. evidence-based. In a startup world, uh, you'll be at a very on a negative standpoint if you do that. Honestly, if you're just following guidelines and following what has been done, startup world, you have to like always uh, be on the front, be on looking out for new ways of doing things, looking at improving things, looking how it can things be better, how can it be more cost efficient. So. Mm. I think that in itself is a completely uh, different mindset that's required for uh, for succeeding in the start startup world as yeah. compared to being like a clinician. Yeah, but it's not a transition that you've failed at. You've done it very well. And we're going to talk about speed doc in a minute. Mm -hmm. But just curious, going back to the world of the physician and the training that you had, the idea of making mistakes mm -hmm. or failing in the startup world, it's almost necessary. You have to fail to learn, to make mistakes, to get better. But as a doctor, making mistakes can be very costly, right? How was it as a doctor in training when you were back at college? Well, how did they treat mistakes? How did they treat or mentally prepare you not to make mistakes? So uh, one of the ways they make sure is you have proper checklists and proper guidelines to make sure uh, you're doing everything that's required. In addition, like when you're a junior doctor, you're part of a big team. Mm. You always have a senior physician overlooking at everything you do. So that, in a way, helps to mitigate any risks since most of the major decisions and treatments that have to be done in a hospital do have to be right. made by that senior physician. You but have an editor, an editor always there looking out for you. Correct. But in a startup world, you know, when I had to go there, it's uh, in the end what, what we do is all we can count on. Right. There's nobody to oversee, nobody yeah. to like uh, uh, say what's wrong, what's right. Because the truth is in startups, there often is no right answer. You mm. have to just, you know, see the least... Uh, least resistant and the most effective way that you can think of and go with that. Right. So how was that for you mentally? You're talking about mindset shifts. Is that were you already thinking like that when you, you know, transitioned from the medical community as a physician to becoming an entrepreneur in a medical community? Were you then sort of, you know, thinking like an entrepreneur? Or did you have to kind of retrain yourself? At what point did you start thinking like an entrepreneur? Mm, so uh, uh, fortunate for me, prior to doing medicine, I did get a chance to do engineering. So right. I did biomedical engineering and electrical engineering for four years before medical school. And I think uh, when you train as an engineer, I think whichever field you go to, you're always questioning, okay, how can I apply this better? How can I improve this? Right. Uh, so 
I was lucky enough to have that kind of thinking when I was going into medicine. It was like, oh, why are we d still doing things this way? This right. is so. Did it get you into trouble thinking like uh, that? In some <laughs> instances, definitely. Right. In uh, a good way. But yeah, that's how I realized, you know, if uh, it's so hard to make these kind of changes that I'm thinking of from the system, then it may be best to try and right. do it on my own on the outside and then try and work with the system to try and supplement that. Yeah. And that was kind of what uh, allowed me to be able to start Speedoc, that, that kind of thinking and that kind of uh, path that right, I ended right. up taking. Yeah, because the path that you did take, Shravan, wasn't one where you changed direction. I think it was all kind of leading that way, wasn't it? Because you were trained as an MD, you were trained as a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. You had the biomechanical engineering, biomedical, sorry, biomedical yeah. engineering beforehand. And then, you know, when you did become an entrepreneur, you knew what wasn't working in the market. It's not like you were an entrepreneur looking at medicine and saying, how can I make this better? You were a, a trained MD mm -hmm. who knew what the challenges and the pain points were in the community, right? So it all kind of made sense if you sort of joined the dots looking back in a very sort of Steve Jobs type way. Yeah, I often think of that quote, you know, the connecting the dots. And right. you're absolutely right. It, it, so now when I'm working on this, it feels like every department, every training that I've had is all fitting together. Right. Every day we're solving problems. And at the same time, I feel like there's no way this is possible to do if you don't have the medical background, the way we operate, yeah. the way we prescribe, the knowing what medicines we or we should carry or the equipment we should carry, what's feasible to be done in such mobile care, medical care. All this, I feel like it's imperative to have that kind of medical background. Mm. So you're absolutely right. It all fit together with such a project. Right. Well, let's talk about speed, Doc. Mm -hmm. I also want to ask you, and maybe we'll talk about it afterwards, there are interesting conversations you must have had about moving from being an MD to an entrepreneur, friends and family. But let's hold that. We'll come uh -huh. to that because that must be an interesting side point. Sure. Let's have a look at your pitch deck because you've shared your pitch deck kindly with us. Mm -hmm. I just want to flick through and maybe we can grab some of the, the talking points. Uh, very top bringing hospital to home. Mm -hmm. What is the pain point first that you're solving? What is the problem that is out there that's inherent in the medical community that you're trying to solve with Speed Doc? Sure, so just briefly, I'll tell you how the even the idea or the concept came. It was while I was working in the public hospitals, you see a big number of uh, these elderly patients who mm. would come to the hospital end up waiting three to four hours for non-critical conditions. Sometimes it's because families just don't know what else to do at that time of the day. If it's, uh, say, 8 p.m. and their elderly uh, parent is having fever, their first thought is, okay, let's bring him to the emergency. Even for minor things like uh, constipation, they mm -hmm. don't know what else to do at that time. So they'd end up bringing them to A&E. And if we look at the statistics, MOH says it's somewhere around 40% of these cases that end up going to A&E, which is the P3 level of triage. Right. So I, I was thinking to myself, like, what if there's a way that we can treat these patients not in a hospital setting, but more in a community setting, even so if it could be done right at home? Because a lot of these conditions, there's not that much requirement mm. from a doctor's standpoint. It's just a quick... Uh, maybe like 10, 15 minute uh, intervention and the patient feels a lot better. So I kind of went with this idea. I discussed it with a few of my colleagues. I even discussed it with uh, my employer at the time, MOHH. 
And uh, uh, luckily, I was supported in this idea in a way that they allowed me to pursue this project uh, for, with a no-pay leave. So after working on this and then, you know, our team grew, things started picking up. And that's eventually how I went into it full time. Right. So recap, the problem is, is that most uh, you're talking about elderly patients when mm-hmm. mostly get brought to A&E for simple or not simple, but for conditions that don't require non-critical as we would say right non-critical that puts a lot of pressure on A&E as well correct you end up waiting three four hours and it's a a bad experience isn't it for the elderly patients they probably haven't got a place to sit down correct A&E is not a great place to be if you Mm. can't sit down and you've just got constipation right right or even if you're vomiting in the middle yeah. of the night and you don't know what else to do, you end up going to A&E right. just for simple IV drips or something like that. And imagine a lot of these elderly patients already have existing conditions probably as well. And that's probably why they've been taken to A&E because the parents, sorry, the, the children or the family have panicked. Exactly. And they're wondering, is it getting worse and so on, right? Yeah. So it's uh, honestly, it's because they don't have access to medical help right. in any other way. So their first thought is to go to the A&E. Okay. So what do you do? Where do you come in? So that's where uh, SpeedDoc has been able to come. We've created a network of house call doctors. Mm. So we have uh, doctors all across the island. And it's all uh, works through an app. So we use technology like the mobile app and the geolocation. So it allows the it pings the nearest doctors around the patient. So whenever there's a downtime for that patient, the doctor is immediately able to go see the patient, mm. uh, treat them right at home, give them medicines right at home. Any intervention or treatment is required can be done for them right at home. Right. So is this specific to Singapore as a problem or as a challenge? Because let's say. I don't know. Obviously, every market is different. Mm-hmm. In the UK, for example, and I don't know how this sort of fits in, there will be like a locum service who would be a doctor that would go house to house. And it's quite an old-fashioned service, so they may not have the sort of the, the access to the phone and the call centers and so on. But they would go house to house and visit elderly patients, and they'd be on call. Does that exist in Singapore? Is that partly what you're solving here? Maybe you can kind of educate me a little bit about the sure. service. Sure. So such house calls have existed, I would say, since the dawn of time. You know, mm. a doctor going to the house with a little doctor bag. That's how we've all pictured doctors in like the 60s and 70s. Uh, what we're doing with that is we are adding uh, or using technology to bring that back in a much more enhanced and effective right. way. So, uh, meaning we make it very uh, geolocation-based. So, you know, in Singapore, for example, a Jurong doctor only sees patients in Jurong. A Changi doctor sees patients in Changi, Woodlands in Woodlands, and so forth. And at the same time, uh, while there have been maybe like five to ten such house call services in Singapore, they predominantly operate as a one-person, one-doctor show. So it'll be one doctor running right. around all of Singapore. They have to do all the marketing themselves. They have to get all their equipment, their medicines, and lab themselves. So it takes them a lot of time to set up, a lot of uh, work to market themselves and to let patients know yeah. that, hey, you can call me. So we are trying to put all of that, like remove all the headaches from the doctor Mm. to the point that all the doctor needs to do is just show up. Right. Because I imagine there's a lot of redundancy in their sort of time, isn't there? That if if you're a doctor 
and you're on call in the traditional sense, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, you're probably not doing the, the most optimal route of your calls as well. And you Correct. say, you know, there's probably people that you don't know and don't know where they live. There's all that kind of issue there as well. So, you know, especially with a doctor, if, if there's only one in mm-hmm. an area on call, they can, I don't know how many they could get through in a day, but th- probably they can get through a lot more if the system was organized better. And, Correct. You know, for the patient as well. Yep. On their side, like when are they coming? They're phoning up the call center. Absolutely. It's hard work, isn't it? Yeah. So we automate that entire process to the point from the patient requesting a doctor, the doctor right. getting notified, uh, the payments, medicines, uh, labs, radiology, everything is taken care of by us. So mm. anything that's required, we do it on a network basis. So if there's labs needed, they can go to the neighbor and closest lab near them. We work with Parkway Laboratories, mm-hmm. so it can go to any of the Parkway labs. If there's radiology, it can go to any of the near uh, nearest radiology. So we work as forming a decentralized home mobile medical care. Got it. So why wasn't this built already? Why did it take Speed Doc to come along and build it? What was missing? Or was it a, the market just wasn't ready yet or something else? I would say most likely it's because of the technology that is uh, being used in our daily lives at this current moment. Nowadays, uh, if you even if you want food delivered, you go through an app and have it delivered. You mm. want a taxi booking, you have it delivered through an app. So uh, technology is being used in our daily lives in a lot, uh, in a much more meaningful and mainstream way. And this, I think, makes it the right time to even bring in medical services. Like, why not medical services are that easily accessible? Because that's something all of us require at some point Mm. or the other. And uh, the so why not? Ex- what, what, what is the big? I mean, why can't you take the sort of the Uber technology and apply that to medical services? Absolutely. What is the problem? Why? Why isn't that a natural thing? Yeah, and I think the biggest hurdle for such a service is because medicine or uh, practicing medicine is a bit of a more regulated and a mm. controlled uh, uh, industry in itself. There are certain uh, compliances you have to do. There are certain regulations you have to follow. And it's uh, that's where I think, like, if you're a non-medical professional, it's very hard to be able to set up and organize all of this and to work through all, all the requirements. Yeah. So it, it even took us a while to get all our ops ready to make sure we're compliant with everything. All our patient documentation is up to speed and up to par. Mm. But now that it's done, I think uh, there's no reason we shouldn't right. use it to scale and operate in a you know uh, island-wide island-wide manner. Excellent. Can we have a look at one of your case studies that you shared in your pitch sure. deck? Sure. This was um, if we just sort of scroll through, um, if I can sort of flick through to towards the end, you've got a case study. Oh no, I've, I've overshot. You had about the advanced medical yeah. use case. Mm-hmm. Which one was it? The elderly. The, the okay, patient end. example. Here we go. Can you talk us a little bit about what this situation is and also what it would have been like before mm-hmm. you came along? So what was the, the issue before here? So this is a very elderly lady who lives with her elderly husband. Mm. She has two tubes out of her, coming out of her kidneys for drainage. And uh, she had to go to the polyclinic every three weeks to get a blood test done so that when she goes to her see her specialist, 
he would be able to recommend whether to continue a certain medication or to cut down on a certain medication. Mm. And now, just looking at them, you can imagine how hard it must have been for them to go to a polyclinic every three weeks, wait for about an hour or so there before getting their blood test done. Right. So that is where we saw her case. We read up. We were working with Lion Befrienders at that time, which is a, a social service group. Mm. And uh, uh, what we were able to do for her is we could do blood tests for her right at home. And then she could get the blood te- results with her. And when she goes for her follow-up, she can just take the results right. with her instead of her having to go to polyclinic each time. Right. So this is an example of how medical service, you know, provided at home can really mm. save time. And in long term, I definitely see it saving cost as well. Yeah, let, let's unpack that a little bit, Shravan, because the, um, the aspect of going to a hospital or a clinic and getting tests done, there's, there's a lot of things going on there, isn't it, for the patient? Obviously, time. It's not just the patient's time. You've got the two family members that bring them as well. Mm-hmm. So they take a day off work. They sit in the clinic half a day, and it's not a great experience. They have to travel often very far to get there. So that's already the cost involved in that, plus the, you know, the, the, the experience for the patient as well. Then going to the clinic itself, which, again, you know, if they're going traveling to the clinic, it may be not the most optimum for the clinic itself. If they, the clinic can just go to the house, do the blood test, exactly. get the sample or have the sample delivered. It means they don't have to have that front end to the clinic as well, which is often the least effective part yeah. of their service. It's just that clinics are not set up that way. Clinics are set up to be able to only curtail to people coming right. in. They don't have a mobile team. So that is where we hope to be able to provide the or solve that gap where we, you know, from ground up, we're built as a mobile right. team. Everything of ours is streamlined towards being able to provide med- mobile care, whether it's blood tests, whether it's uh, medications, whether it's certain treatments. Uh, you look at our nebulizer, it's like a handheld device which can just uh, give nebulize. Nebulizer is actually a device we use for yeah. providing medicines which are inhaled by patients. So examples like that. And that's how I think... Uh, most clinics or hospitals are not set up that way. Exactly. Well, this is, this is an interesting point, isn't it? And maybe we can talk a little bit about this so we can understand the challenge. And that's why it helps to be an insider, so to speak, with inside experience. Mm-hmm. If you go, I know it's not the same, but just to help us understand the challenge, if you go to a place like Thailand, for example, and Thailand's, I think, probably one of the most popular medical tourism destinations in the world, yep. you can go to some of the, the hospitals which have effectively been built around medical tourism now. I mean, all the doctors speak English, they run like a service, they market themselves very strongly, but they've effectively said, you know, if we had to provide this kind of service for this kind of customer, effectively, a patient, Mm -hmm. with these conditions, with these needs, how would we build that from scratch? You know, how would we, how would the hospital look? How would the service be and so on? So they've effectively said, you know, this is the challenge. Let's build the service around that. And to think of medicine as a service in itself is a challenge, mm-hmm. isn't it? And in a way, you're not medical tourism, but I'm saying you're approaching the challenge of medicine and patient care. And you're saying, what does this have to look like? Let's ask the what if question mm-hmm. and sort of break it a little bit. How have hospitals and the medical community reacted generally to that? 
Uh, luckily, we've actually been uh, fairly getting good support from a lot of the tertiary care institutions, as I'd call them, a lot of the hospitals and clinics, because uh, a lot of the times they would get called that, hey, uh, I have an elderly grandma, can you send somebody over? And usually they would not be staffed or equipped to be able to handle those. So they have been like, oh, now I know if I, if I get any such calls. I'm right. happy to refer them to you so you can easily take care of them. We we don't have the necessary equipment to be able to see these patients in a mobile setting. So they're like, you know, if you're seeing those yeah. patients, yeah. So what does it mean to them? To Cost savings and less hassle, right? Sure. Yeah, for the patient, it's much yeah. better, right? Otherwise, patient has to keep uh, going from place to place trying to find somebody who would be able to look at their elderly grandma. Yeah. I know you've got a slide in your, your pitch deck, and we just flip back to that. You've got the coverage that you have here in Singapore at the moment, just so we can have a look. We've had a look at the... I'm not sure if I'm going the right way, but you've got oh, a map of oh. Singapore. With, that's right, yeah. Okay, that's so you've got 25 one. house call doctors Correct. signed up. Mm-hmm. So they have to sign up for the service. They ha- How do you go out and recruit them? Is it? I mean, you must have a network of doctor friends anyway. Yeah, that's so, how it's started. Is that how it's happening? Yeah. And what's the what's the pitch to the doctor you know because you know if you're a doctor life is i know it's a little bit long hours but the fact is it's a comfortable life isn't it? it's a good job well paid or is it not i don't know uh, yeah. you know better it, than me the, so wh- why would they listen to you yeah i would say the timing is not usually the most favorable especially if you work in the hospitals you you know you can have uh i, I remember having 24 hour shifts uh, of calls when i was there but uh, the I would say the initially how it started is I just got a few of the existing house call doctors to you know help and support, right. and they were happy to come on board to you know utilize it like do house calls in a much more streamlined and effective way using technology, and that's how it started. So initially you know got a few doctors that I knew who were interested in being able to provide that, especially catered more towards the general practitioners. And uh, then, you know, we uh, were just, it was word of mouth, honestly. And then we have an interest sign-up page on our website. So a lot of the doctors just signed up there. Right. Uh, we do have a slightly selective onboarding process. And this is one of the things we have to go through with uh, for our compliance uh, and regulations as well. So we have to ensure that they have a valid license, they have right. valid malpractice insurance, no prior negligent claims, what they are comfortable doing, is there any procedure they're not comfortable doing, are they comfortable seeing children? So we go through that entire screening process before we onboard them and before we bring them onto the app and right. uh, allow them to be online per okay. se. So you, you have to get an onboard the doctors individually rather than go through the institution that's right okay so who, who do you get paid by uh paid by me so where does the money come from where's the revenue model here oh okay so uh we have a hybrid model of revenue so uh, some of these doctors just work on an ad hoc basis they're like okay i close my clinic at 6 p.m if you're giving me a house call at 7 30 p.m two blocks from where i live i'm happy to take that right so in these cases, we just get a service fees from the consultation to SpeedDoc, and otherwise, majority of it goes to the doctor. Mm-hmm. In addition, SpeedDoc also gets revenue from medications, from labs, from radiology, all the adjunct uh, medical services. Got it. 
Okay, that makes sense. So can we talk a little bit about your team as well sure. that you have on board? So if I can just flick through to the right, I think this is towards the end. But here we yep. go. So there's six of you. Are you six co-founders here or you're the you're the sole founder in this team? I'm the sole founder. You're the sole founder. Yeah. And you have five alongside it. Where, where did you get your team from? Where did you onboard them from? What was the source? Are they all medical people? Uh, so among we've only had one new recruit. So one of our advisors has just moved to uh, being an in-house uh, medical uh -huh. director for us. So he's another doctor on board. But um, uh, everybody else is uh, non-doctors, but two of them are have a nursing background. Right. So uh, one of them had a nursing background, then was a SQ flight attendant, then was in medical sales, and then uh, saw an opportunity in speed doc. Right. So she jumped on board. Then we have another nurse uh, who focused strictly on nursing care for our right. services. So you obviously it's called speed doc, but you also have the ability to you know do the same kind of service for nursing because i imagine in the community as well nursing is probably a big part of that sort Correct. of care isn't it i would say for the time being our nursing is more uh directed by the doctors by the medical right. care okay. for example i go see a patient i'm like oh okay this patient needs some iv antibiotics and an iv drip so if eight hours later or say next day, uh, the, just the drip needs to be changed or the IV antibiotic needs to be, you need to be given another shot, the nurse can go, for those cases, just the nurse can go and yeah. administer the medications. So we don't really say, oh, if you want a nurse, you can Right, it has to be us. initiated by the doctor, but the doctor will do the sort of the strategic setting of the 10% at the beginning and then Correct. the nurses follow through on the yeah. plan, right? So even if it's something like constipation and yeah. they may need some medicines to just help, uh, you know, evacuate, mm. the doctor does need to go make sure it's uh, not something sinister, not something critical, examine the patient and then says, okay, it's good. So you can have a nurse come in uh, later who will administer the medicine to be able to help you. Okay. Back to your team. So the six of you at the moment, you're all based here in Singapore? Yeah, all of us based in Singapore. We have a really good tech person who's previously worked in two startups. So he's yeah. one of our programmers, and he has a, a bunch of developers under him mm -hmm. to help in all the programming and making sure our security and encryption is uh, all top-notch and as per okay. requirements. Good. And are you you expanding your team at the moment? Yeah, you're absolutely. I mean, yeah. being in a startup, you're always recruiting, right? Correct. I mean, and imagine as well. I mean, I always put this to a guest is that it's less about the skills, probably more about the mindset that you're looking for. In absolutely, your team. it's the passion. I, right. If they're in the same, uh, they want the same end goal as we do. You know, you can kind of tell when you meet them. Their eyes light up. Right. Oh, uh, <laughs> we uh, had that today. Somebody was saying that. Well, so what is that? So you're talking about the story of speed doctor, potential recruit. Their eyes light up. What are you? looking for in them is it the fact that they're an md of 10 years or can somebody from a non-medical background work for you what what is it that you what's that sort of intangible aspect that you're looking for so uh, uh when people really can see what we're trying to say what we're uh, i mean what what is our end goal or what we're trying to do is uh you know be like uh provide the best medical care possible in a mobile setting and using technology and making it super accessible for patients, they can they see that they can relate to that. They're right. like, oh yeah, you know, last time my grandma or my mom had this exactly. situation, I would have totally used this service. And they're like, oh, I I would love to work in such a company. And and 
one of the things that we are able to do is like anytime you know there's a new idea or new concept new innovation that can be implemented we're we're right there pushing it out the next mm. day provided it's safe of course but uh we're super quick in our uh, you know changing and improving and whatever feedback we get from patients and then uh, i would say like uh, a lot of the new recruits who come to join our services when they go to some of these patient visits they see the patient's eyes light up uh, with the right. service that they get yeah. and they see how we've actually benefited the patients by providing the service and they're like wow i i I don't see why I wouldn't want to keep working here. This yeah, is yeah, exactly yeah. where I need to be. I imagine as well. I mean, you know, l like the story with Apple, a lot of their, you know, original team and the people, the developers came from their core community of fans, if you like. Mm -hmm. Like with yourself, I imagine you want to get people from the, the medical community. Some of your doctors who are on call think, I love this service, love to work for you, you know, on the help you build it and so on. I'm curious, are you interested in any particular hard skills that you're looking for in the team or are you just generally interested in people who want to help build this thing? So we do have a slight demarcation. So we have a pool of healthcare professionals and we have a pool of non-healthcare professionals. And even among the non-healthcare professionals, we're always looking, we're looking for developers, we're looking for digital marketers. Uh, so uh, it, it really depends. We we don't really have a preference, but if they're in it for what we are trying to do and what yeah. we are already doing, and they fit in well with our team, I think it's uh, we're happy to. It's the keep best fit. Exactly. Are you raising at the moment? We are. So we've raised a seed round, and we're now looking to raise a Series A, a yeah. much bigger Series A, which will allow us to even kind of set our bases overseas for such a infrastructure. Okay. Could you share how much you're raising? So we're looking to raise about four to five, uh, uh, five million Singapore. So it's about three million US, three and a half million. Three US. and a half million yeah. US. Okay. Yeah. And you talked about that helping you expand overseas as well. Is that what it's there to do? What are your plans? So uh, A, we really want to scale up a lot more in Singapore. Mm. And that would require having s more doctors on a full-time uh, staff where they get a monthly salary and mm. then they are designated to certain locations in Singapore as well as building our, up our operations because that's uh, really the bottleneck right now. We need to be able to replicate our medical equipment. We need to be able to get more and more medications in this equipment. So we build those two up, uh, have more marketing in Singapore, and the remainder, what we've allocated, is more for the overseas expansion to right. replicate what we've been able to do in Singapore. So when you get Singapore right, can you share which markets would be primed next, or is that secret? What, what do you think, based on your knowledge, would be? So it would be a, a lot of the markets where the healthcare system is similar to Singapore. That would be, I think, an easier bet. And the neighboring countries would right. be the most appropriate, for example, Malaysia. And uh, we're also looking at Thailand. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then eventually Indonesia. Indonesia is a pretty populated and dense sure. market. Yeah, and a key part of this as well, growing middle classes as well. Mm -hmm. So you have the growing middle class on top of that, an aging population all Correct. around. You know, yeah. Even in places like here in Singapore, the aging population, it's one of the oldest. I mean, obviously Japan, I think, wins yeah. hands down. <laughs> but Singapore's next. And even China as well, looking at how that's developed. But all these markets are aging and they okay. have more money. So you're identifying a growing market. Um, Shravan, before I, I let you go, I want to ask you the question of the day. So... Mm -hmm. 
before we do that, actually, not forgetting, I want to. It kind of leads into the question of the day, which I ask all the founders sit here. That conversation that you had. So let's put this into co context. Dr. Verma, like, okay, <laughs> became yeah. the startup founder, co founder of Speed Doc. That transition, I know for you, it was something probably that was in your heart and your head and you, something you had to fulfill, right? You know, it was it was a dream. It was almost like a calling. That, uh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. So, how did you then convey that? And the reason I ask is that I I know there are a lot of people, not necessarily just medical professionals, who have a similar urge, a yearning, a calling, if you like. However, there are people around them that don't necessarily share the dream, and often it's friends and family because you know they have invested a lot in the education of people to become a lawyer. They did the MBA, they became an accountant, they became a doctor, mm -hmm. and now they're gonna go and risk it all <laughs> in some crazy startup idea. Can you tell us a little bit about how that was for you in those conversations? Did you have doubt in your own head? And how did those conversations go with those sort of around you? Sure, I think uh, having people to doubt you or question your decisions, it's almost inevitable. You are bound to come across people, you know, no matter which switch you're doing or what you're trying to do, there'll always be people, are you sure you wanna do that? Mm. You have a pretty steady career in front of you, you know, you can just be a senior physician and lead a happy life. But um, I, I think that's where your own conviction at some point kicks in and you're like, you know, I, I don't care. I, I mean, yes, it's people will always say, uh, take the safer route or mm. take take the you know easy way, what's ahead of you. But to, I, I think, uh, like looking at the past, a lot of the people who have been able to achieve uh, big changes or drastic changes, you mentioned Steve Jobs, for example, Nowadays, you look at Elon Musk, a lot of the changes that he's doing. It has to come from, you know, you wanting to change the status quo to your interest in a way. So that's and it, it's almost like a feeling that you get that you're you are on the right path. You will you will do whatever it takes. Mm. They'll like uh, challenges, uh, road roadblocks. These are inevitable. You there. You, you can't name one single founder or successful startup which didn't go through those. So mm. you have to just keep taking it as it comes and keep working towards what you would really want to see in the world. Yeah, that's a great answer. And that's part of the process, isn't it? It's what you signed up for. I mean, if, you, if you're not up for that, if you're not for up for the road bumps, the, the, the doubt, you know, all of that, then you're not in the right place. Absolutely. This is the cost of pursuing a dream, right? Yeah, so I had to, I'm still actually on no salary, but you know, it, it requires some cutting your costs down, but right. you, you're so, uh, your whole life gets taken over by the idea and the project that it doesn't really matter that much. All of that doesn't really yeah. matter anymore. Exactly. It's an amazing answer, it's inspiring as well. I mean, it kind of, answers in a way the question of the day that I wanted to ask you which is I want you to think back to the 18 year old Shravan before he was a doctor <laughs> you can, I know I know not so long ago but a young reckless young Shravan, reckless yeah. and what advice would have you given yourself at that point in your in your career if you were a career advisor to yourself and you're saying hey look you're just starting out here 
you know, um, this is what I want to tell you because this is what I've learned in the, the, you know, the next X number of years. Hmm. Um, I think when you're at that age in college, you're always uh, too caught up on your GPA, your grades, or whether you're completing assignments. But I would just say to myself, like, focus more on what what is interesting to me rather than you know really trying to uh be good at other be good at a lot of different things mm. find out what you are good at innately and and focus on that mm. that's great advice i wish yeah. more people would do that yeah definitely. but it's not easy it's easier said than done isn't it you have yeah. to have somebody i think the key the key I guess value of somebody like you saying that is we need people in our lives to kind of direct us in that way, isn't it? Because often, you know, we don't find out the answers ourselves. And somebody sometimes, like you read, you know, Elon Musk as an example, Steve Jobs, you read somebody's story or somebody comes into your life or you see a story or you hear a story and it plants a seed in your head and then that later on flourishes and you're you're here <laughs> that's exactly. how it works yeah couldn't agree with that more <laughs> Shravan Verma everybody um, been a real pleasure and inspiring thank you for sharing your journey with us and I think you know you are well you know the fact that you've left a very comfortable you know existence and gone and you know risked it in a very positive way and as you said you've gone you know being a doc you could have been you know, very comfortable good salary pension mm -hmm. let's not forget all about that cpf all that stuff you, you had all that worked out and now you've gone and you've gone up to, to a bigger cause a bigger calling and so you know more power to you i think what you're doing is fantastic i wish you all the best and you know if people listening or watching this this story today with shravan get you know, even just some of that juice of the entrepreneurial journey that hopefully will inspire people to do the same. So thanks a lot today. Thanks a lot, Graham. And I really appreciate the opportunity for sharing my story here as well. Excellent.